Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joshua. I am the world's mayor, and we are on the Live Mana Network right now. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, you can find our network on, of course, livemana.org. Uh, you can download our apps on the App Store, whether it's your phone, your tablet, your computer, or even your smart TVs. Uh, of course, all of your favorite podcast networks, we're all there. Just look for the Live Mana Network, and you will find us there. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, today, we're going to talk about civil commitment, but, and I've been talking about it a little bit more recently and reading different, uh, uh, I guess, professionals view, whether they're attorneys or psychiatrists uh, or even real journalists. Um, I don't call myself a journalist, even though I think the art of journalism uh, is something that is absolutely special and it's something that I want to get better at. Um, I want to get better at uncovering the truth. And so I'm borrowing other people's material right now that um, I've either I've, I've looked through and just been like, okay, this is this is good meaty information that's factual um, because I'm trying to present every possible side of this. Um, but I've referenced what I'm going to go over today. It's a PowerPoint presentation that I got in my email uh, from one of the advocacy groups that are in the fight to shut down the shadow prisons and. Um, from what I can tell, it's very factual with references, which I will include this in the media kit at libmana.org, which you will be the same website I just told you about. Uh, you'll be able to find the full media kit there that will have everything that we go over today uh, for you to be able to look at yourself to make up your own mind. Um, I'm not trying to get anyone to believe anything. I just want to present the information. Um, because I think we've been told what to do a little bit too much. And we've lost the ability to think for ourselves, or at least a lot of people have, because they just take the information they're given through traditional media and they run with it. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. That's part of the reason I'm off social media. Um, but I'm grateful, first and foremost, for this information. And again, I'm not even familiar with the group. I've never been part of it. I had a chance to be on a phone call and it just didn't work out. But uh, nonetheless, I have this presentation that I'm going to go over and I don't think that they would mind that I'm sharing it. But again, I'm going to make sure that they get credit for it because this information is extremely powerful, uh, I think. Because when, when you talk about injustice, uh, I did a broadcast here recently even talking about different injustice and, and usually there's money behind it. There's a, there's a financial incentive behind the injustice that happens, or there's greed. Um, but with greed, money, and power, they kind of seem to be a little bit connected. So when people are like, well, why would they have such a law, and why would they do this? Well, uh, you know, when I'm saying, why would people, what's the incentive for the government to lock people in these prisons and keep them there? even when it's obvious that they're no longer a threat to society because it could be from cancer, uh, amputations, you know, all kinds of stuff. I mean, they're just being so far mentally gone that there's no chance they have of reoffending. There's all kinds of cases, and I didn't list all of the different examples, but we're going to get into a little bit of that today. But we're also going to get into showing you the dollars and figures that are behind uh, these prisons, like the money that's going into these programs. And 
I think it's going to be very, very obvious that this is not just about removing sexually violent people from the streets. There's something much more going on. And that's what we want to get to the bottom of. So thank you for being here. We'll be right back after this. That's not what I wanted to do. <laughs> just change everything around. Hold on. We're there. We are a viewer-supported network uh, and nonprofit. We're a 501c3 nonprofit media organization. Uh, our whole focus, other than being a voice for the voiceless, is to elevate other voices for the voiceless. Now, some people don't have the equipment, the platforms, uh, or any of that for them to get their voices heard. Well, that's what we're for also. Uh, we have a new media and multimedia broadcast training on our website livemana.org uh, you can just go to this site here scan that barcode and uh, you can find access to our free training that literally will give you all of the foundational pieces that you need to start your own network start your own broadcast uh, get into different aspects of media and uh, it's not look there is way more detailed information uh, that is available for you However, this is the foundational pieces that you must know. There's a training within the training. And then of course you can go to, um, and if you, after you've done those trainings, you can book time with us and we will do one-on-one -on -one coaching with you. But without you doing those training videos, you'll never, it, well, none of it will make sense to you, uh, what we talk about. So there is more detailed, specific one-on-one -on -one teaching that we will do with you, uh, like we've done for many others. And uh, there's no questions asked. We do this as a service, and uh, but we do rely on your generosity in sewing into us. So again, you can do that at livemana.org. Thank you for being here. And uh, I want to get into this presentation, and hopefully it'll tell me who make myself. I want to go that big. <laughs> I could have worked this stuff out before we chatted. Uh, 
from shadow prisons to public safety and constitutional integrity. Um, this says, there's a note at the bottom that says, may include discussion of sexual violence, state violence, suicide, indefinite detention, and medical neglect. So this is gonna go over values, presentation of sexual violence in shadow prisons, draft bill framework for change and input. So how can I, yeah, just like that. So this organization stating, and, and I have yet to find one organization that is just blinded on well, we just got to free all these people and there's a bunch of innocent people there and they need to be free and we got to shut all these prisons down. I haven't seen one that's like that. In fact, if anything, like this says, we value safety from sexual violence. I would hope. Would hope. But also safety from government abuse. And I shared before that these head, like, I believe the, the heads of the snake that are behind these prisons fall into every other area of government corruption that you've ever heard as a conspiracy theory or actual provable fact. And frankly, the two are getting really, really blended together. It's like a shade of gray that just seems to be, I think I'm using the expression right, but it seems to be that... All this stuff is just kind of blending together. Believe it or not, you know, the human trafficking, uh, this CPS crime. I mean, there's this uh, drug trafficking. It's like all this stuff is like the, the, the people that are benefiting financially are all the same people. It's the same group. Like everything that I can see is what was what I believe from the evidence that's out there. It's interesting. Okay, I've talked about the cost and blow the screen up so I can see. That's not gonna let me, I apologize. Oh, I can change it right here. This is good, okay. In 2005, the last year to which such data is available, more than 61,000 Minnesota residents were sexually assaulted. Some victims suffered multiple assaults for a total of 77,000 sexual assault. I guarantee you this number is higher. And it now, now, because we're in 2022, in a single year, that's 1.2% of Minnesotans, one in 20 teenage girls, one in 50 women, one in 118 men between 13 and 45. There's 8 billion in estimated cost or $1,540 per resident. I believe that that goes up. Um, I believe that that is much, much higher. Okay, sexual violence levels are higher in Minnesota for low-income people of color and LGBTQ people. These are like low-income. Let's just look at this, take it this, this, let's just look at it from a, a practical level. I don't even need to read this chart. Minorities are obviously the minority, so their voices are going to be suppressed, withheld. They're going to be... Uh, they're going to be the, the voices that are most likely to, to have somebody go, hey, I'll be your leader. Trust me. Give me all your money, and I'm going to fight for you. That's how it's done. Jesse Jackson, 
uh, Reverend Al Sharpton. They're garbage. I'm not. That has nothing to do with the skin, their skin color at all. But they've done more to enslave black people than the original slave masters. They've done nothing to contribute or to benefit people of color, minorities. Nothing. They've kept, if anything, they've helped keep people sick. The, I, and I, listen, political party-wise, I, I don't like either one of them. So I won't, I'll refrain from even targeting one because they're both complicit in this. They're both involved. It's just, you know, I know I see a lot of like Republicans talking about how the Democratic Party is the home of the KKK and all that stuff. Yeah, you can have those arguments, but I can also point to Republicans and say, well, <laughs> to freaking doing just the same or worse. But all of the LGBT community, minority, um, the people that are poor, low income, like these are the people that are normally ignored, not taken serious. They don't have, you know, a, a, a healthy, safe police presence. It's not like, it's like comparing, I mean, not every neighborhood can be Beverly Hills, but let's put it this way. People don't exactly lock their doors in Beverly Hills. At least they didn't. I'm sure that some of the riots recently uh, in the last few years have changed that a little bit. But, you know, I mean, if you even watch the Bling Ring uh, documentary, they knew that people weren't locking their doors because, well, it's safe. That's what wealthy people want to do. They want to live and have secured areas and they want to be protected from the riffraff, so to speak. So, like, sexual violence People look at them. I mean, if you ever see the movie American Psycho, you people prey on the homeless. They prey on hookers. They prey on, on some people that have the instincts. They prey on people that have been abused and neglected. They see kids on the street. They see runaways. Those are all targets. Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer. Well, that's probably a bad example because he. I mean, he. Never mind. I'm not going into Jeffrey Dahmer's story right now. Probably bad timing. Sexual violence appears to be down 50% since 1992, yet very high. You know what? I got to imagine that so many of these crimes are not reported, especially with men. Like, how many men actually talk about being abused? Heck, part of the problems that we have in this world right now are that... Men don't talk about their pain. And mind you, it's getting a little bit better, but people don't share really as on a whole that they were molested, that they were beaten, or, or that they were abused in some way. They don't talk about it because men are taught to be macho. And again, that's softened a little bit. And maybe that pendulum has swung to a whole other thing. But the fact is, Men that are honest and men that are that are suppressing the truth, men that are stuffing their pain, are more likely to become violent in some way. They're more likely to be abusive, to be an addict. Grown men trapped or little boys trapped in grown men's body are very dangerous. I don't care if they become it's not about not all of them become sexually violent people, but Little boys trapped in grown man's body is a very dangerous human being.
It's a dangerous human being. And the, your level of danger, eh, depends. But it's not a good thing. Plus, from a practical level, unhealed men, little boys trapped in grown man's body, have no business being in relationships or caring for families because they don't know what to do. They don't have the tools. They don't have the emotional capability to take care of themselves. How in the world are they going to take care of a family? How, how are they going to keep a wife happy? How are they going to be able to have enough attention and love to give to a wife and kids? Odds are they're not because they're going to be selfish and self-absorbed because when you're hurt and you're wounded and you're a little boy trapped in a man's body, you don't think like a man. You think like a scared, frightened little boy and you therefore make those kind of decisions. And then you factor in alcohol and drugs and any other kind of addiction and then you've got a whole other animal. It's risky. It's dangerous. Like, so... We need, and again, I'm off this chart here, but we got to create safe places for kids to go. Like kids are now locked inside, trapped in front of a screen. And mind you, you're watching this on a screen right now. Those of you that are watching, some of you are listening, but there's probably a screen on that device. But anyway, the fact remains that, you know, we're isolated you know, the COVID shutdown is isolated. Generation Z, generation, I mean, like all of these, the youth behind my old butt, 43 years old, like they have grown up in a different world than I grew up in. But the one thing that's very prevalent is depression and suicide and, 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 and feeling alone and lonely. Why do you think people are going to upload themselves into a different universe like metaverse you ever seen the movie lawnmower man yeah that's where we're going <laughs> it's, it's gonna happen and I, but the, but the thing is is and when we isolate we we're cut off from human connection and maybe we forgot what it is but the fact is this humans need connection they need to feel loved they need to feel safe so part of why we want to create these media literacy centers all over the world is because we want a safe place for people to go, but then have a reason to go. Because not only are they going to learn all the skills they need, but by learning those same skills, they're going to be able to do what their heart desires, like what they're passionate about, because knowing media allows you to do that. So if a kid's have a safe place to go, and they're stepping, let's say they're stepping behind and they're going to practice doing a broadcast or they're going to practice, they're going to do their freestyle rap or they're going to play the guitar or they're going to paint or whatever it may be. And they're prepping for that. And they have all the resources and they're around, and they're around other people that are full of life and they're happy because they're doing what they love. But then you're able to see a kid that's got his head down doesn't look and make eye contact with anybody. He's just avoiding eye contact. They're just empty. Well, having a facility, a safe place for people to go, like a boys and girls club, but with, you know, like teaching skills for the future, still allowing them to, you know, get physically fit and do other things like that, but having a place where they can go and then at the same time, feel safe 
for someone to go, hey, you doing all right? You doing, hey, do you want to, do you, do you need to talk? And having resources available, the people that are trained in holistic ways of healing and, and holistic therapies to be able to to help a child know that he's safe and that he can open up and be honest and he can get the help he needs. That's what we need. Because kids want to be honest. Kids don't want to lie. They lie because they're scared. They lie because they don't feel safe. But when a kid can open up and be honest about being hurt, being abused, being molested, they have a better chance of healing. Because it's a lot easier to heal a kid than it is a grown, angry, crusty old man or bitter old woman. Much, much easier. I mean, it's pretty easy if you see it. Like, child has gone through less years of abuse. Sometimes the abuse, the, the worst abuse is the self-inflicted kind. But that usually happens after you've been beaten down by society, your family, somebody that you trusted and loved. Anyway. Reporting violence and legal consequences. Between 2015 to 2019, 70% of sexual assaults were not reported to police. 83% of reports did not lead to arrest. That is terrifying. 92% of reports did not lead to incarceration. For every 100 sexual assaults, 2.5 people will go to prison. People are nearly as likely to be incarcerated for sexual assault as non-sexual assault. Even though sexual assaults are reported half as often, and lead to arrest 2.5 times less often. This points in part to the limits of our current approach. If it isn't getting survivors what they need, what will? Gotta have a safe place. <laughs> That's for sure. Allocation of Minnesota government resources from 2005. Perpetration costs were spent on prison and supervision, 40%, I don't know all these what all this stuff means. Victimization costs overwhelmingly spent on medical bills, 90%. Funding to assist victims was $1 million below the minimum needed to serve all countries. But hey, let's go spend billions on another war. Let's spend billions on a marketing campaign to get people to take a vaccine. My God, can you spare a couple million for abuse victims? Is that possible? We have such an irresponsible government. I'm no financial expert, but we've got a serious problem. Like our priorities and where we spend money. It's madness. Prevention costs were 823,000 in federal funds, 0.4 of total spending. Every year, taxpayers in Minnesota make a $100 million investment in shadow prisons, prison after prison for people convicted of sex crimes. 
officially treatment at the the Minnesota Sex Offender Program, MSOP, are shadow prisons run by the Minnesota Department of Human Services. Who is in Minnesota's shadow prisons? According to the Department of Human Services, 739 people held indefinitely in MSOP as of 2022. 62% from Greater Minnesota, Minnesota average price, average age, can't read today. Average age, 52 years old. 110 people are 65 years or older. That's, that's like senior, I mean, I, I know that people are living longer, I think. I mean, some people. I don't know what the stats are on that now. Um, after the last few years. But that, I mean, 65. And this is where you hear about the stories of guys in wheelchairs, uh, amputees. Like, they're not really a threat, some of them. And some of them, by the way, that are in there, that are, that are rotting, like MSOP specifically, from what I understand, some of them are not only wheelchair-bound, but they had already served their time and then were thrown back in. So... They'd already been proven, they'd been out in society and proved that they were not a danger to society. But they got locked up in a shadow prison anyway. Why? Oh, it probably has something to do with money, don't you think? Got to have numbers, got to have the hospital beds full. It's big money for the hospital system, for the hospitals. The, the people that invest, what do you call those people? Uh, stock, st uh, shareholders. Like there's, it's money. This one's kind of crazy. 72% are white. Huh. Black people are two times over presented, represented. Two times overpresented. Native and LGBTQ up to five times overpresented. Overrepresented. Boy, I don't want to say that word. Over two dozen trans women are housed in these male only facilities. That doesn't seem very safe either. That. Now there's Daniel. Hello, Daniel. Daniel is a good guy. Daniel's one of the gentlemen uh, that served his time. Served his time. And was thrown back in for really no reason at all. One of the people. And he is a, from everything I can tell, an extremely powerful man of God. And how his, he's managed to keep his faith going. Um. In that situation, Thomas, the same way, Tom Evanstead, like, I can't even imagine. Like, sometimes I get mad at God. <laughs> sometimes I'm getting mad at God when I, like, don't see the breakthrough quick enough. Sometimes I don't, like, I, I like, it, it just, like, I, I, when I learn this stuff and I read about this stuff, I'm going, God, I get mad about God for what I get mad at God about. 
and I'm not even dealing with 90% of what most people in the world are. It's freaking crazy. How do people get in? In the weeks or days before one's prison time is over, you are sent to be evaluated and found to be mentally ill and sexually dangerous under civil but not criminal law where you have not committed a new crime. This is Daniel's case and this was Tom's case. People sane enough to go to prison are suddenly insane. I mean, there's days that I feel, you know, perfectly sane and then the next day I could be, I could feel insane. But that's just, you know, our own stupid brain sometimes. You know, when we're just down or don't feel good about ourselves. But this is like now somebody playing God with someone's life. Like, hey, you were perfectly normal to stand trial and serve your time originally, but now you're not fit? It doesn't make sense. Like that in itself should end these shadow prisons. You have less rights than in criminal court. Hearsay is legal. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt, etc. It's far easier to get committed than get out and by different criteria. Detainees are confined indefinitely for what they might do. Not what they did, what they might do. And this is humans. Did a broadcast earlier. It was talking about data, and data is super important. Um, it was, this was referencing redlining, but there's a difference with a computerized data and numbers, and you're able to look at statistics, and you're able to literally lay the whole thing out. They use it in professional sports, statistic probabilities. You can bet on that. You can bet on that to show up to a place where you can guess a crime will be committed. But to assume a person is going to commit a crime with no data supporting it and leaving it up to a human to decide is very dangerous especially when, very much like religion, a psychologist, like whoever taught, the, whoever educated the psychiatrist, like whoever they were, that psychiatrist was a disciple of, like, you know, there's a Freudian psychiatrist. And then there's other people that, you know, they've followed different teachers. Now, why does that matter? Well, in the same way with religion, like, who's teaching it? Who's providing the information? That's going to cause you to believe a certain way. People that grow up in a Baptist home typically either run away from the faith or they remain Baptist just because that's what they've been taught. But even that, even if they escape it, it's very, very hard to get away what has been programmed in your mind as a child. And life is programming. The TV, the radio, what your parents tell you, the rules in your house. The reason why generational cycles exist is because of the programming that happens at an early age. It's conditioning us. One of the best books ever to read about breaking out of that box is Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Vishen Lamakani, who is from mindvalley.com. Like, break you out of these boxes. And it's important. So anyway, indefinite detention is considered treatment, not punishment. 
There's no treatment going on. It's psychological warfare. When you hear of the games that are played that get people stuck there, like you have, you have, you have different people that will look at what's happening um, and they'll, they have to make a decision. Hey, I'm going to sign up for the treatment. But when you say that you're going to sign up for the treatment that these facilities like MSOP are giving, you're basically saying, okay, now I'm, I'm going to play the game. I'm going to go through their process. That's where the abuse is taking place. And then if you refuse treatment, then you've got no shot in the hell of getting out. But the treatment is causing more harm than what was even done to the person before they made it to the prison, from what I, what I understand. That's a heck of a catch-22, is it not? What has this treatment achieved in 28 years? Remember, there's currently 700 people there. So in 28 years, there's been 16 full releases and 95 deaths. More death than releases. This is a one place. You are six times more likely to die than you are to be fully released from treatment. That does not sound like treatment. It sounds like a concentration camp. And unlike prison, you were held indefinitely. Heck, in prison, at least you get the internet. The misuse of mental, the mental health system and diagnosis has been condemned by the American Psychiatric Association. And not that, to be honest, I don't know how much I really trust them either. The state of Minnesota admitted hundreds of people in MSOP. Uh, it, they were not mentally ill. Uh, that, that was stated in a 2015 uh, lawsuit, yet still held. Treatment is still required after discharge from MSOP. Clinicians in MSOP are told to reduce scores so detainees don't advance too fast with an intentionally endless release process. That's what I was talking about. Like when you sign up for the treatment, you're signing up basically for the greatest PSYOP of all time. Detainees are not released when no longer at risk, as in Wisconsin. Despite being designed as a three to four year program, no one was released from Minnesota shadow prisons until a 2015 lawsuit briefly ruled it unconstitutional. And the story that's attached to that story alone is terrifying. And ironically, our friend Tom is right in the center of it because he tried to stop it. And the government didn't allow it. Man, but I'm going to let him tell that story because I saw the evidence for it. I saw the letter he wrote. Saw what the governor did after the fact. Like after the horrendous murder from a guy that was released, one of the guys that was released, but before his release, he was told, he was, or he was being told like, hey, you can go. He told them he wasn't ready to go. He wasn't ready yet. Well, if you stay in treatment, you're gonna be here forever. Oh, well, in that case, let me out. Pretty much how it went.
Then that guy left and killed a little girl. He didn't just kill her. If my wife wasn't standing here, I'd probably go in more detail about what happened. But it's really messed up. Like Jeffrey Dahmer-ish messed up. Now, I'm sorry, but I've already pointed to one mistake there. But then you got to wonder, did they let this guy out on purpose? Because this law benefits a certain group of people to, and allows them to make a lot of money. Conspiracy? Maybe. Maybe. Since 1994, Minnesota taxpayers have spent over $1.6 billion on shadow prisons. Currently, we spend over $100 million a year, or $429 per person per day. I could live on $429 a day. I think most of you could. How much money is that a year? I'm not very good at math, but that adds up pretty quick. But does this create safety? Hmm. No, 30 states have no such sexually violent person programs. A comprehensive study found sexual violence decreased more in states without such programs since 1990 than in states with them. Why is that? I don't know. The study concludes that such programs had no discernible deterrent or incapitization effects on the rate of forcible rape or child sex abuse. So far, no one released from Minnesota shadow prisons have committed a new sex crime. Heck, some of them are out preaching the gospel right now, or their version of it. MSOP also creates deeply misleading picture of who commits sexual violence. People convicted of a sex crime overwhelmingly have no prior convictions. That's shocking. 93%. So 19.5 committed by a stranger, 39% are committed by an acquaintance, 2.5% are committed by a non-spouse relative. Interesting. According to the Minnesota Department of Corrections, MSOP at most reduces recidivist violence by 5%. This is 0.035% of sexual violence happening in Minnesota. Jeez. And again, for those of you listening on the radio and the podcast, all of these graphs and slides will be available on the media kit at livemana.org, so you'll be able to see this for yourself and also be able to verify any of the information that's being read. Moreover, before the surge in commitments to MSOP and harsh new laws, sexual recidivism went down dramatically in Minnesota. Yet panic and politics have surged MSOP's numbers to out-of-control levels with no way to be reduced. Golly. You know, I guess I, I've never been a big graph guy or chart guy, but because I know how 
some statistics can be manipulated. But when you look at these graphs, it's 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 just mind blowing to me. Gee, Merry Christmas. Just more results. Minnesota, California, New Jersey, Florida, Virginia, Illinois, Texas, New York, Kansas, Missouri, Wisconsin, South Carolina, Washington, Iowa, Pennsylvania, and New Hampshire. Good God. Minnesota, not big with percentages here, but is it virtually, like, was that 75%? There's more committed. Wow. Who would have thought? Minnesota's home of, oh my gosh, Kansas is second worst, Iowa, South Carolina, Wisconsin, Missouri, where's Texas at? Texas is pretty low. Jersey's up there. My goodness, in California. You know, I would have thought California would have been the leading after living there as long as I did. <laughs> Good God, that's wild. In addition, Minnesota has already made dramatic constitutional increases in punishments and controls of people convicted of sex crimes. Punishments have doubled since 1980. Life sentence for a single sex crime on the books since 2005, ending any need for the, an extra legal way to do so. Lengthy and intensive supervision is standard many years longer than other crimes for life. I mean, if I was a businessman and I was looking at that chart right now and I'm looking at that graph, I'd go, I'll invest everything I have in whatever you're doing. Well, I mean, again, if I'm a businessman and I'm looking at this chart, no wonder it's growing. No wonder these prisons are doubling their capacity. Freaking wild. Three decades of research says MSOP is broken, yet the governor, legislator, state courts, and federal courts have all failed to make changes since 1984. There's just more stuff here. I'm not going to... It is uh, undisputed that there are civilly committed individuals, MSOP, who could be safely placed in the community or less restrictive facilities. All kinds of quotes here. Uh, you can go to the website. You'll be able to see it. It's slide 22. There is nine more. I stink at math. Yeah, that's nine more. At the time, supervisors nationwide are moving from punishment to prevention and rehabilitation, as it's always been for many less heard survivors. By a margin of nearly three to one, victims believe that prison makes people more likely to commit crimes than to rehabilitate them. By a margin of seven to one, victims prefer increased investments in crime prevention and programs for at-risk youth over more investments in prison and jail. We talked about it at the very beginning. I'm not, really, I'm not trying to promote our foundation and what we, the work we do in the middle of this, but it really is why, like why we want to create the media literacy centers, which are really community centers, which are really like the Boys and Girls Club, but it's teaching media and skills because I don't know if, like, you know how some people, some parents go, hey, kid, 
You can be anything you ever want to be. You can anything you could dream of, you can be. And then somewhere along the lines, people quit saying that to you. But that statement is actually real. You can be all anything that you want to be. And media allows that. But more importantly, a safe place for kids to go where they can be honest, where they feel like they can open up and confide in somebody, you know, and then they can get help and the resources that they need then before the monster is made. And going back to Jeffrey Dahmer, which is so freaking, maybe it's appropriate after all, but going back to Jeffrey Dahmer, like looking at his childhood and like reading about his childhood and how influential his father was. And because all Jeffrey Dahmer wanted was to be loved. That's all I wanted. It, it, it's the craziest thing, companionship, being loved. And so he found it and he bonded with his father and learning to taxidermy as they're cutting up animals and like, but then you factor in the abuse and the neglect and all these things that are happening to him. And he even cried, he was crying out for help. He asked for help. He tried to say, hey, something's not right with me. And he was ignored. How many other people have done that? How many of you right now that are listening that are locked up try to cry out and ask for help? I asked for help. And I was told that it was normal for little boys to do that. I'm not saying that was the sole thing, but it sure as hell didn't help things. So if no one's listening to someone cry out, how are they going to get help? And that was back then. Think about all of the distractions we have now. Think about all of the distractions we have now. So hearing someone cry out, Not necessarily gonna like you're not gonna we're, we're more we're probably less likely to hear it. We have to invest in at-risk youth. If we want to reduce sexual violence, is uh, if we want to reduce sexual violence, are shadow prisons the best use of a hundred million a year? Consider this. All right, the answer is no. But preventing violence by changing culture and preventing harm before it occurs. Get to the youth. Put fathers back in the home. Encourage the family dynamic. Breaking cycles of violence by supporting survivors, restoring harm, and ensuring regular consequences for sexual violence. Absolutely should be consequences for sexual violence. Using existing public safety channels with focus on punishment, ensuring successful reintegration beyond punitive supervision. I like those solutions. Okay, let's see, I don't... <laughs> All right, so actually I'm gonna go ahead and read their vision, this program. For, from shadow prisons to safety and constitutional integrity. Actually, I don't feel like it's appropriate for me to read their stuff um, more than I have already, but you'll be able to find all this 
on uh, the media kit that will be posted, well, right after this. When you're seeing this, it's going to be there on livemana.org. Look, I, I was reading tons of presentations today uh, about this tough subject and the people that are for it. And the people that are arguing the case for why these prisons need to exist, there's gaping holes in it. And you, it's obvious how flawed the mindset is, this, this law and what's going. And it's also, to me, obvious that they're hiding the real truth. So I welcome any experts on this subject uh, to come on and talk about it. And whether you're for it or against it, we want to present the truth and also have a healthy debate and conversation about it. But also with that, want to emphasize that we're not doing enough to heal the youth. We're not, enough, we're not providing enough resources. We're not actually, even single moms or single parents raising kids. It's tough raising kids with uh, two parents. Heck, it's, it's tough raising kids with a whole family, a whole tribe of people. But a single mom, single, like, what resources do they have? Like, can you really even trust babysitters anymore? Like, really? How do you know the babysitter is not going to sit there on their phone? Are you going to monitor the camera all the, the entire time? What's the point of having a babysitter if you're going to stare at the freaking camera the whole time, making sure your babysitter is not being inappropriate with your kid? We need more programs for the youth. And we need to quit wasting money on some of the things that we're wasting money on. Because if we don't save our youth, if we don't install hope, especially in inner city youth and even youth around the world, for that matter, that are in third world countries, if they don't have hope, it's going to go not the way that God intended for them. We've got to do better. God willing, we will do better. Thank you for watching.